This one comes out of John, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, John 1, talking about Jesus as the Word. And the Word, it said, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That is John's uh, Christmas story right there. And he said, we have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, and everybody say these next words with me, He came full of grace and truth. And it's not up on the screen. Ha <laughs> ha, tricked you guys. We'll get it up there. But uh, some of you guys know that verse. Uh, today, our question, it is the final in our series on um, uh, Q&A series. You guys asked the questions, you guys voted, and this was by far the number one uh, most voted for question. Why is it okay for Christians to impose their moral law in the United States? And so we're going to dive into that tense subject today. Before we do, a couple ground rules, all right? We're going to talk politics and church. Uh, rule number one, be nice, okay? Breathe, all right? I'm going to say, we're probably going to say something or look a certain way or something that's going to raise the emotions. I might say Biden or Trump or Republican or Democrat. Just breathe, be nice, all right? Secondly, second rule, over-the-top grace, okay? I have a math equation that I use with this. All right, anytime you have high stress, all right, in our country or you might or whatever is in a, in a, a time in our world and history, high stress, all right, and then you add in high emotion, which this is a highly emotional topic, all right, add those two together, and we as followers of Christ need a higher amount of grace, all right, so high amount of grace, because I'm not going to say things perfectly at all. All right, and you can clap on that. That's a good one. That's the kind of leans in. High grace, high stress, high emotion, higher grace. And the third one, don't make fun of cowboy fans, okay? All right, they're, they're excited for the season, just like they always are. They got the easiest schedule, but somehow, some way, they're going to blow it, and let's be nice to them today, all right? Can we do that? All right, as you take a seat before you do, greet two, three, four people, say hello, meet someone new, and let them know who is your team. Who do you have this year going to win it? Online, joining us in online, hello, hello, hello. Who do you have joining in, or who, who do you have uh, winning the Super Bowl? If you don't know me, I am born and raised in Missouri, so I am uh, a lot of Missouri teams, St. Louis Cardinals. I was a St. Louis Rams fan until they moved to California. Now I hate the Rams. Always been a Kansas City Chiefs fan. They happen to be good, so I talk about it a whole lot more. Yeah, I know. I know. So I'm rooting for them. I'm, I'm a little bit uncertain about how all that's going to work. Uh, this summer, though, uh, this kind of lends in a little bit to our topic. I got to go into the lion's den. Uh, I was in Dallas, and I got to go on a tour of uh, Jerry Jones World in Dallas, and I actually really enjoyed it. Like, I had just a phenomenal time. We got to go. I snuck out on the field, just a corner of the end zone. I went past the rope I wasn't supposed to, and uh, we snapped a quick photo. Now, I did pick up COVID while I was in Dallas, 
and I am like 99% sure it was while I walked through the, the locker room of the Dallas Cowboys, that filthy place, and gave me COVID. So I've been, I, I, this is my, my first time ever getting COVID, and you go to Dallas, you go to the Cowboys Stadium, I don't think that's a coincidence whatsoever. All right, so the idea of, uh, or the question for today, what does this have to do with today? Um, the, the question is, is about political, um, you know, how do we do moral laws? But um, my goal, I just want to state my goal up front. My goal in this is to disagree, but not have any change politically or any change relationally. Disagree politically, but be able to have no change relationally. I love you, no strings attached. This goes into the spiritual realm too, all right? I have some of my best friends that I've had, and, and people even come here. They don't believe in Jesus, but we're still great friends. We still love one another. It is not a prerequisite that we line up on every single issue for us to have a very loving uh, relationship with one another. Now, we don't see this in our world. As soon as we say something, we get pitted against one another. And, and how many of us, just show of hands, how many of you in the last couple years, don't, you don't have to point, but how many of you have lost a friend due to politics, due to some sort of politically charged thing? We've, yeah, some of us have. Like someone has distanced themselves because of these issues. And so I want to present a different way today, but we are going to jump in and talk about some, some difficult uh, subjects in this. Why is it okay for Christians to impose their moral law in the United States? Now, the way, this was the question. I didn't ask this. Somebody asked this question. I don't know who because you guys asked it honestly. I'm kind of taking this question with the slant of like, they don't like the fact that Christians seem to impose it. Not, not, not that, it, oh, this is okay. They're just like, why do they feel like this? And so there's a little bit of like, I don't like this feeling or whatever. So I'm kind of addressing it a, a little bit about that. Um, and many of us, I mean, just even Christians, non-Christians, I would say this is a, bit, a bigger question because right now, I, we talked about this when we talked about idols. We value our individuality. We value our freedom as individuals. And we value our own personal happiness. I mean, what is the greatest good? That I am a free person to make my own choices and I get to make myself happy whenever I want. And that's not necessarily the, the gospel, but in our world, in our society, that is the greatest good. So we look a little skeptical or we look skeptically when it comes to institutions. Any sort of institution or organization that is going to infringe on my freedoms or infringe on what I think is right, we're going to look at them with a little bit of a like, uh, I don't know, because that's just kind of our culture. This message today is going to sound very un-American. I love America. But we, 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 we hold, you know, I don't care if it's your neighbor. If they infringe on your rights, uh, the fence or something, you're going to be like, no, that's mine. You can't do that because this is mine. We work to protect those things. And it's not always bad, except when we escalate it to something that's higher than what God has called us to. Why is it okay for Christians to impose their moral law in the United States? Well, I'll give you a quick answer, and then we're going to dive into what I think is a little bit more behind this. Here's the thing, and this is what I love about America. Like, we, everybody has a, a vote. We all, when, when election season comes around, you get, you get to vote. 
you get, if whatever's on the ballot, and you typically there's like, you got two choices or whatever, like you get to, you get, that's, that's your voice to do that. So in a way, everybody imposes their own worldview when you go to the ballot box to vote on something. That is the, the, the democratic structure that we have set up. And so it's not just Christians imposing different things. Atheists, too, when they go to the ballot box, would say, hey, here's two issues here. I think this is the best path forward. And other people might think differently. So I, I, would, I would say, yes, as a Christian, I have thoughts on here's how I think things may go. And so do you, and so does everyone else. Um, so it's not just one subgroup of people, but all of us, by the nature of our government and structure, do that. I also want to say, as I dive into this today, a couple, a couple caveats. I'm not trying to change your political views today, all right? Hold them. Be passionate about them. I'm not trying to say you can you know, change to this party or another party, all right? I might be advocating how you change your approach, all right? I might be advocating how we deal with other people, uh, whether they agree or disagree with us. Also, I want to say you have a in our system of government, you have a right to an idea, to to take an idea and and put it into the the forum of public opinion and say this is what I think might be best. You have that right. I don't want to say don't you don't have that right. You also have a right to advocate for that. So if you think, hey, I think this is a good idea for our local schools, and you also have a right to, to voice that opinion and say, hey, not only do I have this idea, but I would, you know, when we're going to vote on something, I'd like to advocate for that. You have that right. Every, I'm not trying to say don't do those things. I might be advocating how we approach those things as well. Because what I see, what I have been a part of, what, what you have probably seen probably leaves some distaste in your mouth when it comes to this, all right? And I'll just kind of show a little bit of my cards. Like, I come from a, a, a conservative religious background. Typically, myself and other people that I've been around kind of lean a little bit more on the right, okay? And so I would, not everybody, but I would say just typically... Uh, the vast majority of people who I've interacted with and seen, they lean a little bit more to the right. To the right. I don't always like how they act or how they behave. In fact, in, in many cases, I'm, I'm embarrassed. We, I remember, um, this was several years ago, one of the coolest days as a, as a youth pastor, we had five students one day that, was getting, that were getting baptized. They'd all recently given their life to Christ, and they were going to get baptized on that day. And I got to be a part of baptizing some youth that I had been working with. Great day. One of the, one of the people that was getting baptized, a teenager, had um, their dad was not religious at all. He hated the church, really didn't want anything to do with it. And for weeks, she was going to get baptized and publicly declare her faith in Christ. And that was a big deal. But she wanted to invite dad to come. But she also knew how much dad hated the church. And so she didn't know if she should even invite him or how we're going to do. So we talked about it and we kind of counseled through that and different things like that. And she actually had the courage and guts to invite her dad to church. 
Couldn't believe it. I was like, this is amazing. I better step up my game if I got teenagers who are 13, 14 years old, and they're, they're saying, yeah, this is what I feel like God's calling me to do. Difficult conversation with my dad, and I'm going to go do it. She did it, and he said yes. Wow. Unbelievable. Day comes, baptism's there, dad's there. The message that day was buy your guns, buy your ammos, because the Muslims are coming to get us. was like, what? I was mortified. And I'm on staff. And I got to somehow resolve this tension of different things and, and kind of work through some of these things. This is where, when I say I'm embarrassed, I, I see some things that when we talk about these things, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to necessarily change your views on different things. I'm just saying maybe we change our approach. Because that gentleman never came back again, and I don't blame him. I think Christians, we get distracted. We, get, we, we lose focus of what is our mission while we are here. And that's where I want to kind of work with on this. A pastor named J.D. Greer kind of said it like this. He says, when the church gets in bed with politics, it generally has a baby and the child looks nothing like Jesus. All right, we're talking about politics today, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold a buffer here as pastor of Freedom Church to preach a message of unity, to preach one that is I'm not really going to dive into these things a whole lot because I don't want to get distracted from the mission of what God has called us to. And this is going to be a reminder of that. Now, again, I probably, I can feel the tension in the room. I'm probably not going to please everyone here, but what's the goal? We can disagree, all right, and at the same time still be friends. If, we, if you came in here and we were friends, like I honestly believe if, if, um, if I wasn't on, on stage, and this is why I really I've struggled all week because I'm like, I don't like talking about this from a stage because I might be naive, but I think if you and I just sat down across from a table from one another and we talked about this, and this had a rational conversation, we would walk away from the table, still friends. I, I do. But I've been around church game enough to know when you do it from here, we, we create division. So I'm trying my best to say some things, even though it's tense, and still say, hey, I still love you. I still want to be friends. We'll get up from the table and we'll go. That's why I say we honor the table. That's why I want you to get in a connect group because when you are sitting at the table with someone and you see that they have a different view, but you hear their story, you start. You could say, you know what? I don't agree with you, but I can see how you got there. I understand where that might be coming from. I know you a little bit better. So we're not going to, at the end of the day, not, maybe not agree, but we can still hold that relationship. I can hold space with you and not bolt, even if we disagree. All right, where's Jesus in this? We're talking politics. Where's Jesus in this? I always like to look at, well, what did, what did Jesus do? We don't get a whole lot. He, he, he said in one area, he said, hey, go pay your taxes. They tried to trick him. And they're like, hey, what, you know, what should we do? Tithe to the church? You got this. He says, well, get a coin. Who's on the coin? It's like the Roman Caesar. Go pay your taxes. Another, another area where he, he talks about one of the the Roman governors, he said, he called that guy, he's a fox. 
uh, in like kind of a, a, a like a trickster, all right. But you don't get a whole lot from Jesus when it comes to policy and 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 politics and different things like that. You get something like this. Here's Jesus's policy. He says, "I'm giving you a new command. Here's the rule. This is the rule I'm going to advocate for." What's the rule in Christianity? He gives you one. Love each other. What? What? This is, this is Jesus' radical political movement. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, this doesn't look like a political statement off the top, and he might not have been thinking politics, but in the context of this verse, you got to think about who's in the room. What's he doing when he tells his guys, love one another? He's got his disciples in the room. And previous, if it's uh, verse 34, if you go up a few verses, this is when he washes their feet. And it says, Jesus knew that he had all authority under his, in his disposal. Right there in that moment. All power and authority was Jesus. His final hours are coming up in this moment. So he has his final words to his small group of guys to say or do whatever he wants because he has all power, all authority in this moment, and he advocates love one another, guys. Not who's going to win the Super Bowl. You know what? Put the bet on them so you can win and win big. Not, hey, we need a, we need a, we got, we need a Christian Caesar, all right? Let's get that in office so we can radically change things. No, he, he says, love one another. Because I got Simon Peter here, who's going to lead this thing. I got Simon the Zealot. And the Zealot wants to take down Rome, like in a radical way. Let's go to war. Let's take out the government and free ourselves. I got Matthew, a tax collector here, who is the lowest of low, scum of scum, traitor against Jews, who joined the other side. All right, I got doubters. In a few minutes, I'm going to have people that deny even knowing me. And guys, after all of that happens, I want you to remember this one command. Would you love each other? Because we got some jacked up guys here. I spent three years with you, and you're going to go run this thing called the church. And if we are going to complete this mission, the 12 of you, to go reach the world, this is mission critical. This is mission critical. Love one another. This is where Judas says, I'm out. Judas leaves from this scene and goes and betrays Jesus. I don't think Jesus fit Judas's mind of what a Messiah should be. I've had enough of this. We're supposed to be overtaking Rome. I've had enough of this death talk that you're doing. You're supposed to be leading us, and you're taking the position of a slave and washing people's feet. This isn't my Messiah. This isn't my Jesus. Out. And for some of us, Jesus doesn't fit your box of what you think he should and shouldn't be. Love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love each other, guys. It's a very political statement. Let's see what kind of uh, environment. Where's Jesus in this? Where was he born? Well, he was born in Israel, but he was, he was born in Bethlehem. He was born under Roman occupation, the Roman government. We know the, the Christmas story. When Jesus was born, 
King Herod in that region, what, said, hey, there's a new king in town? Slaughter every kid two and under. Get them. All the boys. And I'm sure just so they could make a, bring a good report back, because Rome is good at killing. Rome is, this is what they do. I'm sure they got some girls too. All right? That was what Jesus was born into, an environment where that happened. At, at just, boom, make it happen. Kill all the kids in Bethlehem. This is an area where uh, Pilate later in Luke 13, it says this time Jesus was informed that Pilate, who he would later stand in front of, was, Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. All right, so Jesus gets informed that this is what, what happened. They're at church, they're worshiping, and Pilate has them murdered while they're there. Right, slavery was rampant, women, kids treated as second class. I mean, death was a sport in Rome. We have the gladiators. It was a sport. 2022 USA holds nothing on the government political environment and how savage it was back then. All right? And you may not like how it is right now, but it's nothing compared to what it was when Jesus was born. When Jesus saw, it says in John, that they were ready to force him to be their king. Again, they want a warrior king. They want someone to come and change the political environment. When he saw they were ready to force him to be the king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. And when he stood in front of Pilate, and Pilate said, hey, they're going to crucify you. They're going to execute you. I have the power to change that. They said you're a king, right? My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Where's Jesus in this? He's not fighting. What do we see a lot of Christians doing today? Fighting. Fighting for earthly kingdoms. And everybody wants Jesus on their side. You know, you see that, right? Democrats want Jesus on their side. You, you take a stand, you take a position, you want, and we're trying to try to get Jesus on their side. And, they, and they, you know, they know how to do it. Jesus said, I'm not about that. I'm not going to be your king. I'm not, my kingdom is not of this world. What about the first church? Because Jesus leaves. He dies, he resurrects from the grave, and Christianity starts. I'm not listening to Jesus because he said a lot of good things. I'm not listening to Jesus because he died on the cross. These guys, what sparked the revolution was they saw a dead man come to life. Then when they saw that, Christianity started, and they started saying, we better pay attention to everything this guy said because he's God. They also saw him ascend into heaven, and he said, get to work telling people about me. So what does the first church do? You don't hear them advocating for Christian Caesars. You don't hear them for saying my, my rights or protesting or different things like that. Let's look just at a few verses. I'm going to read a lot of verses here. Acts 1, they kept asking him Jesus. This is before he ascended. Jesus rise from the dead. His disciples are there with him. They said, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They still don't get it. After Jesus rose from the dead, they're still thinking earthly kingdoms. And Jesus' response Guys, that is not for you to know. Like I'm in he's in charge of kingdoms and nations, but it's not your job. 
And then we get the beautiful verse in Acts 1.8. You are to go and tell people about me everywhere you go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's your mission because we're not about an earthly kingdom, guys. Get your head off the earthly kingdom and focused on the heavenly one. In Acts chapter 8, they start doing this. The church starts growing. Now you have Rome against the church, this empire. This empire, Rome, and a ragtag group of illiterate people. You would think it's a no, no debater on who wins and loses this fight. You also now have the Jewish religious authorities coming against the church. And the first martyr, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, gets killed for, for, for professing Christ. And you would think, oh my gosh. And it says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now they're killing Christians. And now they are forced to leave their home just to survive. Watch what the believers did. You would think, this is bad. And it is bad. Except when God is on your side. It said they scattered. What was Jesus' mission? To scatter. To go tell the whole world. He uses a horrendous thing like a persecution and an execution and says, I'm still going to use that for my glory. I'm going to get you guys off your butts and send you all over the world. And so when the believers who were scattered, they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Is that not beautiful? Under an extremely horrific and oppressive and tragic regime, Jesus' mission still survived and thrived. Peter, Jesus' best friend, he writes this. I read this recently. He says in his first verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners, who are living as aliens in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If you don't know how to pronounce things, you just say it real fast and confidently, and hopefully it just works. Okay, he's writing to these people. They're all over. Why is he writing to them? in different places, because they were persecuted, because they were driven out. You read all of 1 Peter, he is writing hope and encouragement to a persecuted group of Christians. And he's saying, don't give up. In fact, let's look and see what he tells them. Does he tell them, fight the regime, fight the man, change the politics, new government in town? Let's see what Peter says. For the Lord's sake... I know you're like getting, people are dying, people are getting put in prison, it's unfair, it's unjust, all right? So what does Peter say? For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or officials he has appointed. What? Like, someone's going to have to get the, like, tear that page out of your Bible. Because that is certainly not what we see the church doing or, or, or living out. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will 
that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations. So he's not saying what they're doing is right. He's just saying this is how you're going to live. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse for evil. Here it comes. Look at this. Look at this. Respect everyone. Not just the people that you agree with. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Love your church family. Don't just tolerate them. Love them. Fear God and respect the king. Our our culture knows nothing of this. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. These guys have been dying and put in prison and left their homes, and this is Peter's advice to them. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now they're getting beaten. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Our example is Christ. I skipped a verse there that talked about you who are slaves must submit to your masters. All right, So he's not even advocating to end slavery here. You would think he would just say, end slavery. He's just trying to say, if you are in slavery, this is, how, this is how God wants you to work in this, in this imperfect, unjust system. If you are slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Again, this is not what we see today. I know there's lots of different views on how to interact with something like this. Um, I have been reading a book, and I've been listening to years, and there's a lot of that I agree with, some things I don't, but um, a lot of it comes from um, a pastor, his name's Andy Stanley, um, and he has a book called Not In It to Win It, and again, uh, there's a lot of things that I like in it, there's some things that I don't agree with, and that's fine, like, it's kind of the thing, but he kind of has this idea of, like, the church is in it to win, or our, our society is in it to win elections, to win policies, to win this sort of stuff. And he's like, that is not the church's job to win it. It has been love one another. Relationships are not a game. Love people. And for many of us, the church is in it to win it. Trump gets his, his house raided. And some of you, I am not your pastor. Your pastor's Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity. You rush to your pastor to get the spin on how you're going to quote your idol. I got to figure out how he got raided. What's the spin? Or some of you guys went to CNN and you're gonna, you went to your pastor to say, and now you, you now quote because you are a disciple of them. You quote their stuff and you know it. You know all the points and you know all the stuff. You call yourself a follower of Jesus but you are really following something else. What we see in all of these things, we sprinkle in Jesus to get him on our side, but we dehumanize people. 
This is what you see in our political landscape. If I can dehumanize the other person, then you don't see them as a human, then I can treat them as if they're not human. As if this love each other, love one another, they are now exempt. Again, I'm not advocating that you can't have your own political thoughts and views. Please don't hear me say that. What I am saying is maybe we've changed our approach. Don't be a jerk. Start with that. Honor the table. Hold space. Here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a question for you. Do you have a friend? Do you have a friend that holds a totally different view, opposite end of the spectrum politically than you? Some of us do, some of us we don't. If you don't, I would make a challenge to you to do it. It could be one of the most liberating things to sit there with somebody who you love. I mean, absolutely love and adore. But when it comes to these hot button issues, you just disagree. I had that recently. I had that recently uh, years ago with friends where we loved one another, but they didn't hold any views that I held. And we would disagree, but at the end of the day, we loved each other more because we treated each other with honor and respect, knowing where we stood. It, can, it doesn't have to end in a fight. It actually can grow the relationship. I know we're running late, but I'm, I've been stewing on this, so you're going you're gonna to get it, all right? <laughs> all right? I'm not trying to win elections, right? I'm trying to, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm trying to do what Jesus called me to do, which was tell other people about him. And yes, I do have opinions on political matters. The elephant in the room, the reason this question came up and just elevated to the top, and I'm going to go there, was because of the Roe v. Wade decision got, got changed and overturned in the summer. When that hit, this question went just skyrocketed way above the other. So I want to, I want to honor that in the sense of like, hey, let's talk about this. I feel like this is a trap, though, okay? I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I love you even if you don't believe what I believe, okay? I still love you. So I, I, I've been very, because I realize there's nothing probably more, more polarizing this, than this one. But I think the fundamental question, before we jump into a few verses, I think the fundamental question that you have to ask yourself and verify for yourself, when does life begin? When does life begin? Can you nail that one down? Maybe you think, no, Mike, there's another question that needs to be asked. That's fine. But for me, that's the, when we're talking about this, women's rights or abortion or different things, you when does life begin? Because when you establish that, when you establish that, okay, this is when life begins, conception or eight weeks or what, what first breath. I don't, like, when you establish for yourself when that begins, then that really changes the conversation on what's okay and what's not. There's a, there's a guy, Richard Dawkins, who does not, uh, he's an atheist scientist, all right? He, he's pro-choice. He, he does not believe that is life in the womb. But this is what I love about an article that he wrote this summer. It shows that he at least has some understanding of how to approach the conversation. Uh, I'm going to read this. It's not on your screen. He's talking about people who say, my body, my choice. All right? And he actually agrees with them. He actually agrees with them, but he wants them to understand something. 
He says, how do we respond? We who march in the vanguard of progressive enlightened thought. Keep your rosaries off my ovaries. A woman's body is hers and hers alone, nobody else's business. My body, my choice. That's what he says. Of course, I empathize with those slogans. But can you see how hollow they sound to someone who deeply and honestly thinks an embryo is a baby and abortion is murder? Yes, your, your, your woman body is yours, but there's another body inside it. A human being with rights, just like yours, can see how the standard pro-choice arguments would fall flat to someone who can't distinguish an embryo from a baby, someone who sincerely thinks human life begins at conception. So he summarizes, he says, our standard arguments would only fail with such people, but they find them downright infuriating. He says, listen, I understand, I actually, he, he says, I agree with your my body, my choice, but you've got to understand if someone sees that as an actual human life, that's a game changer on how you deal with this issue. So what is it for you? When does life begin? Because it really starts some of that conversation there. Now, when I read this, I'll just be clear. As best I can tell, as best I read it, I'll read some verses here that kind of help me with that. I, I honestly believe that it starts at conception. Is a, it says in, uh, I'll, just, I'll just read these. I'll let Scripture do some, and you might have different views on these things. And I would still love you. <laughs> and I hold space with you. It says, uh, when, when Mary got pregnant with Jesus, all right, she hears from God, and God says, hey, I'm, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And it says, right after God says that, Mary immediately goes to Elizabeth. And when she meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord, Mary, should come and visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. John the Baptist jumped for joy towards Jesus. At this point, it doesn't give us an exact date. It's not trying to do the science, but you can tell like she left and immediately went to, to, to Elizabeth. This is like baby zygote Jesus. Like he's a pencil dot. And, and he is recognized in the womb as God doing something. Like he knows pencil dot Jesus, baby zygote Jesus is getting a shout out here. If that was the only verse in Scripture, because I, if that was the only verse in Scripture that referenced this, I would probably still hold to my views that God's up to something inside the womb. All right, I would not discount that. But Jeremiah 1.5, God saying to Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Psalm 139, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. When I read that, in other scriptures similar to that, but these are usually some of the highlighted ones, I see God at work inside the womb. I see God calling people, appointing people. I see God, he has his eyes on people. So that's where I develop my view. I'm open to being wrong. But that's, that's what I see. What about women's rights? 
Or I don't agree with you, Mike, so do I got to find another church? No. It's not that black and white when it comes to all these issues, though. Like, it's, when I hear your story and the stats would say, I don't know the exact stats, but I know they're, like, there's women in here who have had an abortion. There are men who your girlfriend or your, someone had an abortion, and it, this is not just some black and white issue, emotionless issue. There are conversations to be had. Help that needs to be created by the church. The church to stand up for all humans, women, men. I will also go as far to say this, though. There will always be something. The next election, climate change, gun control, this even trickles into our local school elections here in Los Alamos. They are very, they are important, very important. But I go back to where was Jesus in this? Because he could have said a lot of things and changed a lot of things. These are not gospel. They are important issues. The message of Christ, the good news of Christ, that is our hope and our foundation. I haven't read yet in the Bible where it says, hey, you better have this view about abortion and trust in Jesus, then you get into heaven. Okay? No, it's not in there. Jesus, just Jesus. Huge topic. Emotionally charged topic. Lots of grace. Because the mission is about Christ. His kingdom. Not earthly kingdoms. His kingdom This, to me, is the message of our generation. Jesus foresaw you and I, and he prayed this prayer in John 17. He says, I'm not only praying for these disciples in the room in the first century, but I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As, as you are in me, Father, I am in you, and they may be in us so that the world will believe. This idea of unity is the message of our generation. The hot topics are not going away anytime soon, not in our lifetime. And the church wins or loses on how well we do this. How well do we love one another? And we better be grateful that these guys, these original disciples did it. Because unless you have Jewish blood and you're a full Jew, these guys crossed boundaries. They transcended boundaries to say, Samaritans, I hate them. Cowboys fans, I hate them. But God loves them. Gentiles, we can't touch them. We can't eat their food. We can't do anything. But God loves them. And I'm going to go tell them too. And I'm going to sit down and hold space with them, even though they believe politically different, all these different things, because God loves us. That's enough. And that's all I need to love other people. How do I love in this political climate? One, listen. Talk less, listen more. Especially with people with different views. Honor the table. Become friends with somebody. Listen to their story. Two, understand. When I get to know your story, I get, I get to see how you got there. I'm not trying to prove my point to you. Just trying to love you, and I get a better understanding of who you are. And then value people. 
value people. This is the gospel. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm not perfect. And God still accepted me and loved me and chose me in all my imperfections. My theology is still not perfect. And God still allows me to do this. This is the, the question, and I know, again, we're running late. This is the question to end this. How does it end for you? It doesn't take a genius to look at our political landscape in our country right now and see the direction that things are going. Where does it end? It gets more extreme and more violent. Am I not like it just is pushing in that direction? I don't want that. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. We love our country. We fight for what we think is right. But we see how our culture does this, and we see where it ends up. Jesus offers a different way. It does not have to go in that direction. How does it end for you? We see fighting, backstabbing, war, grabs for power, greed, and victory. My path ends with Jesus first, not America first. I love America, all right? If one of you becomes president of the U.S. one day, they're just going to take that one little snippet and, and shove it through the media. I love America, all right? But it is not my God. My faith filter comes before my party and politics. Scripture says I'm a citizen of heaven. He says, you're an alien, a sojourner. This is a temporary spot, this earthly kingdom. Your body is an earthly thing. Live for eternity. How does this end? For all of us, it ends in death. We are all going to, like, here's the good news. We're all going to die. At some point in life, we are all going to die. But this is not my home. I'm not going to die trying to hold on to stuff here. The idea that scripture tries to explain to you, while we are here, your home is somewhere else. And it's like, ah, welcome home. I'm here in glory with God, in relationship with him forever. And the church stands in the messy, unpopular middle of what I read to you in that first verse. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and and truth. It's unpopular. It will not win you elections <laughs> to stand in the middle with someone with grace and truth. It is messy in grace and truth, but that's love. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's love. Lean too far on truth, you're a Pharisee. Lean too far on grace, you've missed the boat. Both. Both. Let's stand as we close. The first church. The first church, they did this. Jews, zealots, traitors, Samaritans, Gentiles. You had the, the Roman Empire crushing them. You had the religious elite trying to get them. And they changed the world. They got it. They loved. They disagreed, but they loved. They didn't stand one another, but they loved. They told others about Jesus, and they changed the world letting them know that everybody is loved by God, everyone is valued, everyone has dignity. That is what I want, and that's what I'm on mission for, for Jesus.
I'm going to pray, but I'm going to end with this caveat. I love you. I probably didn't say this perfect. You might be angry and ticked off at me or whatever, but I, I guarantee you if we could sit down at a table, we'd still be friends. Disagree politically, no change relationally. I love you guys. I love this church. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster, as well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.